Welcome to Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkgaard. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of Valerie, her guests, and callers. Now here's your host, Valerie Kirkgaard. Hey there, it's Dr. Val Kirkgaard here, and you're listening to Waking Up in America's Our American Cafe, Dynamic Radio Dialogue. This conference is being recorded. <laughs> what am I going to do with UCW? Uh, dynamic radio dialogues in uh, Life Today in America. And uh, I guess the biggest, saddest um, news, I, I can go on and do the whole thing about the sponsors, Emergency Management Solutions to Jason Leonard T and Tad Patterson and Protandon and all that stuff. But the truth of the matter is I found out yesterday that a, a dear friend and a longtime supporter in the economics movement um, died at the ripe old age of 81 in Dallas, Texas, where he was doing a remake of the Dallas series. And um, I talked to CW about it last night, and he was like, didn't believe it, because Larry was alive, let me tell you. He was alive, and when I called um, uh, Jerry Weaver to talk about it, she said that this very alive, very bright man was probably up in um, heaven having a drink with Dennis Weaver, which is probably true because in all of these articles that I've gone through um, this morning, I don't find any mention of economics, and that's actually how I met Larry Hagman. So um, we do want to thank our sponsors. God bless you all. You, um, you make it possible for us to be here. I want to let you know that if you Google um, Larry Hagman obituary, excuse me, if you Google Larry Hagman obituary um, on the Internet for the Tribune, you can actually go in there and you can send a note and a phone message and uh, just all kinds of stuff. So um, if you love this guy um, <laughs> or you were affected by him, send a message to him because he's one of the brightest lights that I ever knew in my whole life. And uh I, I I love the idea of celebrating somebody as wonderful as him, but I'm still a bit into the loss of um, booting around in Santa Monica on his <laughs> his electric cart that he took the governor off because he's a real ecologist, and that doesn't get mentioned a whole lot here. I got the call yesterday from uh, Durga, Durga McBroom, who was a childhood friend of Christina and Preston, uh, two of Larry's children, and so the calls are coming in. I've actually been up most of the night because people are calling me to let me know that our friend is gone. And um, and Dale call, um, Gail Ellen called. And, you know, people have just been calling the whole time. So you want to say anything, CW, or you want to say anything, Randy? Well, I, uh, of course, had the opportunity to meet uh, Mr. Hagman, through you, just via phone, not not in person, just via phone and radio. And in the short time that I've had the conversations on air with him, I found him extremely, uh, I, I don't know if this is the right word, but I, he, he, has a, he had a pers- persona that he could be dogmatic and, and, and uh, charming all at once. <laughs> and, you got him, and, and uh, uh, I was really looking forward to the day. Cause we had talked about we were going to be hooking up with him uh, in the in the future, and I was looking towards that end. Yeah, we supposed to. Uh, he was coming back from Dallas, I think, in March, right. where he's been filming. 
and you take a look at, uh, at what Mr. Hagman's done in his life, either by action or by blessing or however it is, he handled it to perfection. When he he, he did well before the uh, uh, the character of J.R. Ewing in Dallas, but when he got a hold of that character, <laughs> he kind of like called it his own. Because if you recall, the J.R. Ewing character was not meant to be the main character in Dallas. It was actually Patrick Duffy's part was going to be the Really? Main I didn't know that. Yeah. But he, he had made that... He had just grasped it, and he became... He literally became J.R. Ewing. And because then, because he embraced it so much, and he was not uh, uh, he was brazen about it off air. In fact, he was quite private, a quite private uh, individual off air. He did not uh, uh, live his life through his character unless he was asked to. And the public demanded, so he had fun with it. He had a lot of fun, okay? Uh, that was one of the, the fun things about him. When I went over to his house once to drop off some books, he was yeah. waiting for me out in front wearing full Indian headdress. There, that was just his, there, he thought he, it would be fun if I saw uh, an Indian headdress when he came up. He was a very playful man. I enjoyed him well, entirely. He, oh. Uh, uh, if you remember when he spent a lot of time, him and Madge spent a lot of time in the Malibu home when they did that, he was known to, uh, you know, have parties and, and actually parades out there on the beach. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, he was different. part of the Ojai parade as well, right? He has a fire yeah. engine. I don't know what they did yeah. with the fire engine. Yeah. But here's the trip. The guy wrote a book. I think it's called Hello, Darling, something like that. I have a copy yes. of it somewhere. But I would recommend that if you want to know Larry Hagman better, um, what you do is you see him as J.R. Ewing, but the man is a living tribute to um, a guy that wants to live by higher standards, not necessarily somebody else's. He was very big in the ecology movement, uh, Randy and C.W. However, he did it because he personally did not want to be off the grid. He saw what happened when the um, the darkness came. He was friends with Dennis Weaver, who developed the Institute of Ecolonomics, but he never made a big show about it. And as I say, I don't even see that stuff in his um, in his um, bios here and things like that. But that's a thing that was like a core in his life. I don't know if you know this, guys, but when his place in Ojai was called Heaven, okay, and Heaven was an expensive little operation to run. Heaven cost thirty thousand a month just for electricity. Mm. <laughs> so you can imagine that he didn't want to see the electricity fail. So he built the world's, I think, in, he would correct me, I say world's, I think he actually said in the United States he, has, he built the largest solar facility in the United States, and his electric bill went from 30000 to $13 a month. Wow, that's awesome. I know it's awesome, but, you know, I, I think I wanted to really kind of take advantage, Randy, of... Um, People say, oh, gosh, you know, it's expensive for solar and things like that. Even Ed Asner is talking about solar. But here's a guy that actually sometimes was selling electricity back to the electric company, and other people that have solar say the same thing. And they don't worry about their electric bills, and they don't worry about something happening someplace else. So I think um, I'd have to call Larry and... and um, 
and Dennis, Mr. Solars. And Ed piped up there, too, and was talking about the same thing and whether it's financially viable or not. If, if Larry had a message for you that was about w- what his basic belief system it would be, get off the grid, go solar, you know? And whatever your life is, what use solar, go solar for the freedom, a sense of freedom, the analogy of freedom comes with that. He freed himself from the system. So did Dennis, actually. Uh, his home in Ridgeway, Colorado, guys, was... Um, actually off the power grid entirely, too, until they built a golf course there and drained all the water. <laughs> mm. That's a lovely stuff. Yeah. He had a house, um, Randy, that actually was built out of um, tires and um, and tin and um, aluminum soda cans, okay? The interior wow. walls and those tires packed with aluminum soda cans and things like that made the house habitable all year round, and it was... Uh, it's called the Earth Ship. Jerry lives there still. But now that they've drained the water from the property and things like that, let's <laughs> to God, jeez. Uh, did, uh, did Larry Hagman talk about this in his book? You know he didn't. Uh-uh. He, no? he didn't, mm-hmm. as I recall. Um, okay. That's what's so interesting. I would have to say the major thing, you know, people say the major thing he did was create this great character, right? Mm-hmm. But I have to say the major thing, if I'm looking at a human soul, you know, he was born to Mary Martin. He, is, he, he, he had destiny. He had all the connections he needed. I remember, guys, when I was um, mom, one of the great, great things my mother did was take us on a regular basis, like two to three times a year, to a musical comedy. And the first one I saw, or a musical production, and the first one of the first ones I saw was Mary Martin doing South Pacific and also Peter Pan. So I was a follower of Mary Martin's, and I remember looking in the show program, and it said uh, it had a picture of Larry with a sailor's cap on. He'd been in the chorus line of South Pacific. And I remember pointing to my his picture and telling my mother that I would know him one day. That's that kind of things that happen in my life that make me sure that all the things that are hard and all the things that are good are just the things I agreed to do. So... I'm using that moment because when I met my husband-to-be and he walked in the room and I was talking to Caressa Carlstead, and I said, where is he? She, Oh, she goes, here comes Lon Kirkgaard. And I said, where is he? That's my name. So I don't think we'd stagger around as ignorantly as we think we stagger around. Right now I have a gentleman that's um, come to visit for a while at the house, and he's an astrologer, and I'm actually in his astrology chart as a transit. I asked him how long I was there for. Uh, but I get it, and I'm one of the people, Randy, that does get it, um, simply because of those <laughs> statements, you know? Right. The, the pre-statement, or the pre-identification, even to when um, even to when Mr. Jerry showed up that morning, I said, hmm, I better get the room cleaned out because somebody is coming. And then later on in the day, I got a call from, Karen telling me that a friend needed a place to stay for a little while. <laughs> so why don't we just wake up and be responsible for the lives that we're living? You want to get off the grid? Put in solar or one of those windmills or something like that. Get off the grid that way. Um, CW, I think we should be teaching classes on what the laws do exist that people could be taking advantage of. You know? There's plenty around for us to take advantage of. And, uh... Uh, I, I would venture to say we could use 
uh, Larry Hagman's life as uh, uh, an example of what to do. And uh, and there's nothing I can see in his life that would tell us what not to do because he was all about life. And, in fact, I think one of his models is, mottos was life is a celebration. If I'm not mistaken, I think he flew a flag outside his Malibu home. <laughs> he did. That said life is a celebration. And uh, this man knew who he was. He did not, uh, and this is what somewhat made him private, almost, if I dare say, like Frank Sinatra private, because he knew who he was. He didn't need to uh, 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 brag on himself. He didn't need to talk about himself. You had hundreds of millions around this world that did it for him, (laughs) and he played to that. He didn't gloat. He did not uh, uh, ever do the look at me. He just played the part, and he played it to perfection. And this is what made him so beautiful as the most hated villain, most loved (laughs) villain of of entertainment history. I think that Who Shot JR show, he told me, I think it had one of the largest viewerships of any movie production or anything in the entire world. Over 350 million viewers worldwide. Wow. Wow. Stop and think. The J.R. Ewing character is an icon of itself, but that statement, Who Shot JR, that's another icon within an icon. Oh, it totally is. That became T-shirts and billboards and... (laughs) Yeah. And you know what I asked her? I said, okay, just because Mary Martin was your mother, how did you do it anyway? And he said, I just did it. I I was lucky. That's how he perceived himself. And mind you, Mr. Lucky was um, talking after having had a liver transplant because Mr. Lucky used to like to drink. And those parties down in Malibu... He did some really interesting stuff. He used to pretend he was a guru and have people come in, and he wouldn't talk, and they would confess everything to him. I think he did it on Sundays or something like that. It's it's a good read, folks. I mean, and I, I from what I know of it, the dear guy, it was pretty accurate. But that's how he ended up buying his um, Heaven South in Santa Monica because he was, I can't remember if it was St. John's or Santa Monica Hospital he was going to, and he ended up getting a liver transplant like three weeks before he would have croaked. And with that, he started getting into raw foods and all kinds of stuff. And his, but I, I have to agree with him. Our favorite restaurant was Eco Genie's in Santa Monica because it had good, natural, healthy foods. So he had to do that. But here's an interesting thing: he had to also be careful not to get his immune system too strong because they were afraid it would reject his liver. You know. Oh, wow. And so here's a guy that woke up overnight, basically. Yeah, he, he talked about that in our first interview with him, or my first interview with him and you. Uh, he talked about how he had to be careful uh, not getting, you know, I don't know if I should use the word too healthy when we talk about yeah, clean up. Yeah, I would have to say almost too healthy. He, he couldn't be too healthy, but he had to be very careful not to be ill at all. Uh-huh. And so he, he walked a delicate line there. And uh, I think he did that very well, too. I mean, my Lord, 81 years. Just think if he didn't have those complications, <laughs> we would still be enjoying him today. Oh, I, I, I totally get it. I first met him down. I remembered when I first met him, C.W., was at the Santa Monica Pier when we were doing the hydrogen car drive things, when I was producing that. 
And that was the first time I had met him in person, and he was down there with Linda Gray, and I can't think of the guy's name from MASH right now. Um, uh, they were all friends, huh? Not Al- not, Alan. not Alan Arkin, the other one. Um, oh, Michael. The one that played... um, I, I don't want to get lost on that, because anyway, they were all down there support, supporting um, supporting Economics, which was Dennis Weaver's program, and Dennis Weaver has had a son named um, Rusty that looks just exactly like him, and I wish somebody could start a fire in Rusty and let him head economics because it's a brilliant idea, and that's part of what um, Larry was doing, too. They were putting together ecology and um, business for economics, and I thought it was a brilliant idea. And so they had businesses participating all over the place to help these you know, help get the environmental issues under control. And so much baloney is people running around saying that global warming isn't happening and um, ecology really isn't important when there's a sea of plastic bottles somewhere in the South Pacific the size of Texas, you know? They're just... Maybe we can use Larry Hagman to wake up overnight like he did when he got his liver transplant. And he... um, my, his wife, I, I wonder, she's had, um, what do you call it, Alzheimer's for a while now. And I'm wondering, you know, if she even knows her husband is gone. I don't know. These are just the things. I couldn't, I was getting a call about every two hours last night from people that wanted to make sure that I knew. I know. I know he's gone. And I'm hoping it's the beginning. That The reason I mentioned the Times obituary um, look up Times Obituary. There's actually a place for you to write a letter, or leave a voice recording, or anything like that. So, any of you listeners, um, look up Larry Hagman um, Tribune Obituary, and you'll find an access to do that if you check carefully. And I'm, I think it's an important time to have you, if you can, comment on the fact that while J.R. was terrific and he was a good actor, that this man was a stand for, um, you know, standing on your own. He was a, every bit in his private personal life, the way C.W. was talking about him, every bit of that part of his life was about being off the grid and uh, laughter. And uh, the guy went to Burning Man, Randy, like three years ago. Do you know Burning oh, wow. Man? Mm-hmm. Burning Man's for like teenagers and people that have great free minds. Not normally seventy nine years old hooting off to Burning Man. They probably and he said he had the time of his life. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it. You know what I I'm saying? He had, can yeah. you imagine how much fun this guy was? I mean, you know, I, I'm sure he was an absolute blast to be around. He probably left some great memories. I bet so. I, I wonder what kind of, I wonder. He must have been a stinker at some point. I don't think any human being can get through not being a stinker sometime. Right. Uh, but but I'll tell you, uh, he was very excited. You know, he just had that auction of his stuff last year from from Heaven North. Oh, I have to tell you, I have a. I went to the um, Silver Spurs dinner when Jerry put up the table, and I bought one of those genie bottles. You know, from the from Captain Nelson. Well, it turns out that they made, I thought I bought the genie bottle, right? I paid 600 bucks for it at a charity auction. Oh, well, no. it turns out they made a number of them. Anyway, I said, so since you made a number of them, you have to autograph my bottle for me. So he says, okay, fine. So he did. Well, here's the funny thing. When um, we were all sitting at the auction last year, 
that bottle I have that's autographed cost $600. They sold another one of them. I tried so hard to keep my mouth shut for $8,000, and it didn't even have an autograph. Oh, I said, my gosh. I said, I said, hey, guys, what makes this $600 bottle worth 8000 And they go, well, it was sitting in the lobby of his home. I said, well, really? Okay, well, mine's got an autograph, right? And that's when I got it in that moment. I mean, it's the Silver Spurs or the Gold... Silver Spurs dinner, it was a $600 auction piece, and people thought I'd been overly generous. That's what JR did for him, CW. That's right. From the difference between $600 and $8,000, because it was in the lobby of of heaven, for goodness sakes. Wow. Well, I was reading uh, in the story, I think, the LA Times put out there, that even the Queen of England asked him who shot JR. And uh, she said, would you tell me? And he said, not even for you. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good story. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I say he loved it. I was teasing Ed Asner because Ed Asner always plays Santa Claus, as you know. Mm Mm-hmm. So he was on Hawaii Five-0 as a dedicated killer, a cold-blooded killer. And I said, okay, Santa Claus, so did you finally get some of that goodness out of your veins? (laughs) And he said, said, yes, I guess... I guess if you're just a goody two shoes all the time, Randy, it's it's too hard. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm sure. So yeah. I can't imagine what happened at um uh, at Burning Man, but I tell you, I sure would have loved to have seen video footage on that one. <laughs> I'm gonna guess somebody's got some some good yeah, cell phone well, I footage. I, I guess maybe sometime too. So we love you, Larry Hagman, and and somehow we're gonna figure out. I'm gonna talk to Rusty Weaver who really isn't interested to do a colonomics. I think he's investing into some real estate or something of that nature, but maybe I can get him hooked up and we can do, maybe we can talk to the children, you know, Hmm. and see if we can help carry forth some of the dreams because the largest solar facility in in the United States, that's an awesome I'd love to know what he spent on that. $300,000. Okay. And what was his bill when he was... He said over it was thirty thousand a month. Thir- no, I think it was like <clears throat> I th- I th- mm. prior to the solar. I mean. It was more. It was closer to thirty thousand a month. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So he, see, he, he hasn't got his money source. Huh? He more than well, got his money source. He, he said it took about six or seven years to get his money's worth, but he said that wasn't the satisfying part of it. The satisfying yeah. part of it was that he knew he couldn't be shut down. Mm-hmm. He, he, as I said, was stimulated to this because of that big blackout, like maybe 10 or 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Remember that took out like a lot of the, I think it was either Central or Eastern Seaboard. Do you remember CW? I do remember that. It was in It was, uh, well, there's a lot of, I believe, conspiracy theories of what took place. But, yeah, the grid went down. Yeah, the grid went down, and he went, nah, <laughs> I don't want to be victim to this. And so he wasn't. So whether it was 3000 or 30000 I do know that at one time, and I'm not sure if it was, uh, we'll call it before grid or after grid, I know that his expenses were 30000 a month to run heaven. That's amazing. And so I'm going to guess it was probably the lower amount, Randy, probably the mm-hmm. 3000 Okay. But even then, to get, he paid $13. <laughs> That's awesome. But that was... <laughs> He paid thirteen dollars, and he had he had the satisfaction of knowing they couldn't get him. And as far as I know, nobody ever shut off his water either. 
And I'll tell you something else funny. We both lived, I was, I grew up on Sulphur Mountain Road, and he lived on Sulphur Mountain Road in Ojai. Wow. That's what I mean when I say there's destinies. By the way, CW, an astrologer told me you were coming about six months before you showed up. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Well, it all comes out on the radio, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> say we're going from look, here. Huh? We're, did he say where we're going from here now? I got it. He's, he's, the, the astrologer's upstairs sleeping. He came over last night. We'll see how long. The driveway kind of has him terrified, so we'll see how long he lasts. Uh-huh. I have a very steep driveway, Randy. Oh, okay. Well, how did he say CW was coming? I He told me that there was a powerful man that would be coming into my life and that my life would be different because of it. I said, oh, okay, we'll see theory. how that works, right? Mm-hmm. Larry Hagman. Well, that's, Larry Hagman came into my life like 11 or 12. I was trying to figure it out. I'm going to guess like maybe 12 years ago. Because I think that's when we met was in 2000. Hmm. So that was through through Dennis because I always had this need to do something to improve the planet. I think it may have been because I had some terrible relatives. You know how that is psychologically. Um, right. Let's just say terrible in the sense of not really life producing. <laughs> and so I we think I had. <laughs> you have that too. Oh yeah, I'm from <laughs> Iowa. Yeah, you the have, but, Iowans are the butt of every uh, movie joke, I swear. Did what do they say about Iowans? There's some great Iowans. Let me, I don't, I don't want to uh, say bad about all of them by any means. There is a lot of great salt-of-the-earth people that are in Iowa. I, I love my great state, and, and we do have a lot of amazing, hardworking, super talented and witty people in our state, so... But we, I have some of those relatives. Okay, so I so. haven't been to Iowa since I was 18 years old and Caressa Carlson and I were crossing the country. What I remember about Iowa is um, alfalfa bins, big tall bins okay. or whatever it is, those towers, and roads mm-hmm. that were straight, and then you'd make a left-hand turn and then you drive straight into forever. I don't know <laughs> if there, I doubt the roads are still like that, but it was like... And then I remember eating breakfast in a restaurant early in the morning, and everybody was wearing a hat, you know, like a real regular hat, no baseball caps. They were all wearing mm-hmm. hats, and they came in with their overcoats, and they had breakfast in this charming place that we stopped in Iowa. And I just, that's my memory of it. It belongs to like 50 years ago. So there's, sure a, could... there's a funny song that's come out. It's called Corn, uh, Corn, Corn, Corn. Oh, look a, look a tree. Uh, corn, 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 corn. Oh, there's a cow, you know, so it's kind of, <laughs> and kind of it's, a similar and it story, starts off, huh? <laughs> starts off with Mississippi River and it ends at the Missouri River, and, and the only thing in between is um, cows and trees and corn. So it's, a, it's cute. You can probably look it up online. <laughs> and it pretty much sums us up. I mean, we, we are the uh, corn belt. I wish it wasn't mostly Monsanto, which it is now. Oh, God. Well, well, well yeah. we, see, you never know where to stop. The house needs cleaning so desperately, but Monsanto has got such dirty little roots going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of my old neighbors uh, was holding seeds, uh, the 
daughter of a gentleman who sold out. He had a large seed company in Williamsburg, Iowa, and he sold out to Monsanto about, I'm going to guess, maybe 10, 10 12 years ago. And, and he feels bad. Uh, that was one, yeah, it was one of the last ones. I think they paid about $100 million for his seed company. So they don't play around. They, they, play, they pay high dollars, and I suppose it's hard to walk away from, and maybe at the time they didn't know just, you know, how bad that guy was. they knew just how bad they were. Yeah, I don't think they did. I I mean, I got to hope that they didn't. I I was wondering if Monsanto even knew how bad they were when they got started. I doubt it. I think that, you Um, know, we've seen evidence, CW, of what happens when people who aren't ready to handle power get it. Right. There's a book that David hits. I ought to have him on. He wrote a book called Castrating the Bull. Hmm. And... um, that book is interesting because when he was in business school, he got sent to a business school that was actually on the prairie. And one of the things that they did was they made him castrate bulls because, as a lesson, right? You don't mm-hmm. castrate a bull with a sharp knife. You castrate it with a dull knife so that the bull's wound heals better, okay? It's just, I guess, the way it works, the difference between a sharp cut and another cut. But that whole thing then began to um, give David a sense of respect for what was in the business world because they had made them do the the common things. They had made them be the cowboys. They would made them handle elements that they'd never experienced before. So they had um, a playground of creativity to create their business from, and David actually created a billion-dollar company, and he ne- he didn't make himself president. He made people that were smarter than him in the areas that were needed president and things of that nature. He's just an incredibly cool guy, and um, I remember him as a little boy, you know, and it's one of the really neat things about being my age is in my life all the cool people that I've come across and what they've done with themselves. And, you know, CW, when we were doing Peter Bidmar, um, Gail and I, one of the things that came up was the consistency, you know, Peter Vidmar, the Olympic champion, the first guy to get an Olympic uh, 10. And the category doesn't exist anymore, the the way he got it. So it it will be a record that stands into eternity. He was talking about what everybody thinks is all about talent. Well, it is about talent, but it's about getting up every day, whether you want to or not, and going and doing something for that. And in Larry's life, he had reached a point, Mr. Hagman, where he had all the money he wanted. In fact, when he played poker, guys, he only played for a nickel because it wasn't about money. It was about skill. So um, Peter Bidmar, Larry Hagman, the people that have been really extraordinarily successful will tell you that skill is important, certainly, but it's the development of that and it's what you value. And Larry Hagman valued being off the grid, being able to take care of himself, being kind. He was a very kind person. I remember actually being down on the Santa Monica Pier with him um, when the when we were doing the hydrogen car drive, and I was talking to him, and a bunch of photographers came up, and they wanted to take his picture, so I stepped back so that they could photograph him. And he goes, I was wearing Dennis Weaver's cowboy hat, too. He looked terrific. <laughs> uh, so he says, no, darling, you're with me. And he put his arm around me, and he... All of a sudden, it felt like a bubble went around me, and I could hear the like the cameras making noise outside, but it wasn't in the same space that I was in. And he had his arm around me, and I said, okay, how did you do that? <laughs> and he goes, mother taught me. 
He put a, he put us in an egg a, inside of a like inside of a plastic egg. We were in there, and they were out there. And his mother taught him how to do it, Mary Martin. Huh? You know, it's like, huh? Okay, so what else do you know that I don't know? And he goes, "Don't you wish you knew?" <laughs> yeah. Yes, I do. And he said, "Too bad." Because he didn't need it any other time. He didn't need to talk about it. He needed it then, and he used it then. What else could this man do? If he could put a bubble around us, what else could he do? That's pretty neat. So what else can you do, you know? A lot of people talk and talk and talk and talk, and they never mention these experiences. Randy, have you ever had an experience of something unusual like that? Um, gosh, I'd have to, I'd have to think about it. Give me a few minutes, CW Okay, first. well, <laughs> I was actually on a mountain walking my dog at 5 in the morning. I like that time of the morning. And all of a sudden, these two dogs came flying out of the air, and they were salivating. They were just, they, they were headed my direction with my dog, and this voice said, stop and stop your fear. That's what they feed on. And so the dog just sat there, and then I just stood there. And I let go of my fear, and all of a sudden it seemed like a plexiglass window dropped down in front of me because the dogs went flying into something that was transparent and hard, and they wow. dropped to the ground, okay? Like, <laughs> you know, whining to the ground, like they'd run into a plexiglass wall. And I I remembered for years, I thought an angel or God had protected me, and then somebody said that maybe I had actually done that myself. Hmm. You know, so... I just want to create conversations for each of you to take this opportunity, this man that was so amazing who died November uh, 23rd of 2012 and use it as maybe a gateway to open up something for you. Because all of us, I'm going to say, Randy, whether you can remember or not, I just can't imagine a person of your capacity not having had an experience that would have been considered um, spiritual or, or magic or divine intervention or something like that. What about you, C.W.? Uh, I've probably had a number of them, but I I think what comes across my mind uh, is the very first one that I uh, uh, can remember. And it's not the first one, but the one that's most memorable to, to me was when uh, uh, I was about eight years old, and uh, my sister had climbed into a hornet's nest and was covered, and everybody was afraid to approach her, and Mm -hmm. I, uh, my mother was screaming and holding me, and I said, just let me go, and I, I, I don't know why I did this, I'm eight years old, but I went to that nest, I got her and pulled her out. I did not get stung by a bee. I got hit by a two-by-four, but did not get stung by any of those hornets. <laughs> and uh, I'll tell you about the two-by-four. I was going to just say, how you can't just do the two-by-four and then walk off and leave it. <laughs> uh, but I was able to pull her to safety, and uh, there was uh, a, a nurse that lived in the neighborhood, and she just happened to be home, and... Uh, uh, she ended up being fine. Now, where the two-by-four comes in, <laughs> was, uh, uh, I'm eight years old. 
we're kind of everybody's kind of calming down here. I mean, this is within minutes of me uh, pulling her out from the hornet's nest. I'm barefooted. It's summertime, and my mother looks down on my left foot and sees a hornet. Oh no! She hit you with a two by four. She picks up the nearest thing to her, which was a two by four, and hits me across the foot. Oh no! <laughs> I'm, I'm an eight-year-old kid screaming now because I get this huge pain in my foot. You know, I could have flicked off the hornet, but no, she wanted to break my foot. Uh, oh, she's saving her son, wasn't she? That's she was what we do sometimes when we save our children. We give them break. worse grief than they would have had without us. Yes. <laughs> so it did, was, uh, it, did that cause the hornet to sting you? Because sometimes, you know, I could drive the singer right in. Uh, well, I you was wouldn't surprised. know, huh? <laughs> it did not. I was surprised it did not. Because you're right. I, I, uh, I didn't know then, but later on, I've seen people squash a horner or bee on themselves or something. And uh, you, you should just gently brush them away. And they'll go away. Uh, but like you said, you cannot be afraid. When, when approached with that, you and that, I was not afraid at that moment. I don't know why. I saw these horners. Most people have been terrified. I'm an eight-year-old kid. I, for some reason, it's, it's like what you said. Val. you you get yeah. you're surrounded. Well, you know, we and were now, talking about firewalking. but that's that's what you were. There was a a, a, a sense of there's that sense of protection. That's there, and I don't know how you put it there, or or because uh, I can't I can't just think about it and say okay. I be think there confidence, CW, that you had a confidence that you could do that. Um, I'm thinking about you know, and Randy, I'm sure you would too. You when you were firewalking, they didn't mm-hmm. let you go if you were afraid because you'd burn if you were afraid. You know, and yeah. that, I think this is all a good metaphor for for this whole thing. Your story about the hornets is perfect because. You weren't afraid. You just went out and got the job done. Your mom was afraid, and she ended up hurting her son, who she, I knew she didn't want to hurt you. She was, like, being, protecting you from the hornet. <laughs> yeah, you know, that, that look was a mistake. We uh, do that all the time, though. You know, I have the hardest time not protecting my son. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, glad you said it that way, that when you say you do that all the time, because we're talking about picking up a tube before and beating your son with it. I'm glad you, you said protecting. <laughs> no, you think you are. You think you do something because you know better or you're older or you're their parent or something like that. I remember being in group therapy years ago with Dr. Barbara Biggs, one of my favorite humans ever on this planet. She's up there with Larry Hagman. You you don't know her name, but I'll tell you this woman was terrific. Anyway, we're in a group therapy group in the 70s, and I want to wrestle with somebody, and they don't think it's a good idea, her, her and Gary, for whatever reason. It wasn't because they were afraid I'd hurt. They just didn't think it was on track. And then I ended up wrestling with one of the guys, and the guy beat me. <clears throat> you know, he nailed me down. And I said, you know, it doesn't matter whether you nailed me down or not. I'm not stopping. You know, you're going to get up sometime and you're going to go away, but I'm not stopping. I'll just wait until you're looking at something else. And then Barbara said, I get it. (laughs) She was thinking in terms of me winning, that I had to win. No. I just Mm -hmm. had to engage. Mm -hmm. 
and in the engagement, there's a, a full release of whatever the listen was, whether you won or lost. Kind of like what, you know, with the that's Republic. A good, uh, that's a good description of, of Mr. Hagman, using that word engage. He yeah. engaged everything he came across. Yeah. Even his charity work that he did. A lot of people don't know the charity work he's done. Very charitable man. What did he do? I'd love to hear it. Well, the the main charities that he uh, uh, was involved with was uh, the National Kidney Foundation, which he became uh, part of when he had his liver transplant, but also the American Cancer Society, the Cedar sinai Medical Center, and Solar Electric Life Fund. Those are the four recognizable charities. Well, the now, Ohio, uh, the Ojai Foundation too. He was a major part of. And, exactly. Um, every oh, place in town you go in Ojai, Larry Hagman and my contributed something. Exactly. They contributed to wherever they lived. I was going into the smaller stuff that left you, and you're right. Whether it be Ojai or Texas, wherever he was, and he hung his hat. He became a part of that community through his generosity. And, uh, uh, in fact, uh, he created the, uh, you probably know this, uh, he created the Larry Hagman Foundation just in October of this year. No, I didn't know this. What was the Larry well, Hagman Foundation for? Well, it it was designed, uh, I suppose, based on, on the current, what, what it's done, it was designed to help um well, I, I, he helped a lot of needy groups in there in Texas, especially the, those organizations dealing with children uh, from uh, donating. Well, uh, this one, I think he donated $2,500 to that uh, the Bridal Society to donating tens of thousands of dollars to various different charities dealing with children uh, there in Texas. And huh. a lot of people don't know how charitable Mr. Hagman was. Uh, those close to him, of course, do. Those are super close. But uh, uh, I'm not saying I'm super close. Or you, you're more super close than anybody about <laughs> here. But well, I'm looking at the Larry Hagman Foundation right now. Oh, okay. So you okay? You, so you, I hopped you, over there, and yeah, they've you, already got his obituary up. They have hmm. his obituary up, oh, and. Uh, um, Go ahead. And and, and I believe uh, the Larry Hagman Foundation will continue uh, to help the children. This is this is what I like to champion: is to help our children, uh, especially those who uh, do not have opportunities nearby or close to them to help them, especially those in the inner city, uh, inner city or poverty-stricken areas where they need a chance. And unfortunately in this world, we have to sometimes prime it with uh, some of uh, our creators' money to uh, help people. And this is what I believe uh, Mr. Hagman did. He helped the children. And yeah, totally. That, and he, he, wants, he wanted to get, give them a better life. And I think uh, uh, him being a champion of ecology will help not only the children, but all people uh, of, of not only this uh, Southern California and Texas and this great nation, but of the world. Uh, look, just why not solar power? Why not having uh, you know 
doing your own thing. Become your own person. Become your own man. Become free. Mm-hmm. Why not contribute to your community? You know, that's, I, I do want to just say something um, in the last few minutes here about the Republic for the United States of America. Um, for a variety of reasons, <laughs> that will be more understood in the future, uh, we most of us have resigned from the Republic, not because of wrongdoing, just because it's something that was needed at this particular time. And the Republic that we resigned from is actually, we were actually asked to go back to our states, those of us who were national, to go back to our states, to be with our families, to clean up our homes and our lives. And that had to do with that we worked for three years, actually, um, with no pay, putting in thousands of hours, all of us, to um, get back in touch with liberty and freedom and the Republic of the United States of America. Okay, so that's what we're doing in our communities now. And I, I wanted to let you know that though you won't be seeing the Republic signing or or the calls, you won't be hearing a mention about that right now, we're all going to be taking on projects in our communities. So to me, Larry Hagman is a perfect um, entrance into caring for your community. Uh, I took this off the website. It says his family has released this statement. Larry was back in his beloved Dallas reenacting the iconic role he loved most. Larry's family and close friends had found him in Dallas for Thanksgiving holiday. When he passed, he was surrounded by loved ones. It was a peaceful feeling, just what he wished for. So there you go. You can check out the Larry Hagman Foundation. I do, as I say, I like the Tribune situation, so you can contribute to that, um, uh, to a life well lived. And um, I know we're going to be off the air in a few minutes, and then we got started a bit late. But um, closing sentences, guys. I remember uh, interviewing with you, uh, Larry Hagman, and uh, I made a request of him, and uh, uh, he, he goes, you know, okay, what is it? And I asked him, I just asked him, he said, don't stop. I said, don't stop, and he kind of chuckled, and, and he never did. <laughs> and, uh, He's up drinking with Dennis right now. That's what Jerry <laughs> says, and I believe everything Jerry says. I want to thank him, and I want to uh, I, I, I all, all of our uh, blessings and the condolences go out to his families and all of his friends, and uh, including his best friends, his family, his daughter. Yes, more than once. That's going to let you get in the Academy so Award I for us. Help this one, so, but I, I just had to do that for Mr. Hagman. I know, so, I know, I know, but we have to hear from Randy, too. It's only polite. You there, Randy? Oh, I think she left. Well, I invite you to visit our wakingupinamerica.com website and sign up for our newsletter and check out ProTandon. Um, Sir Jason Winter T, while you were there, they were on the right side of the page. Uh, we've been talking about Larry Hagman today, and um, I think we'll just keep talking. Uh, if you want to know more about You Have the Right, go to note at mailhouse.com. And and I say, Randy disappeared. I guess she thought that we were leaving early. Um, here's the deal for Randy Shannon. She's a woman of courage. She's a firewalker, and she is a terrific human being. And um, 
she'll be a good person to follow into the future as well as CW and a lot of other people. There's uh, those of us that have been around a while, and we're also inviting uh, youngsters to get into the economics movement. And um, if if Larry and Dennis are talking in heaven, I think we should revive economics. So there, nanny, nanny, go, go. Um, it, it turns out that... Um, we need to say merci beaucoup to Bent Meigen for our theme music, Almost Ordinary People. And, Mike, if you would make sure that that music gets pay, played um, at the beginning and the ending of the program, that would be absolutely terrific. And uh, we actually have it available to you as a free gift, an MP3 download, and we can send that to you by email. Next week, invite a friend to listen. Write us at val at wakingupinamerica.com. Remember Sidious, Altius, Fortius, and um, remember the people that have actually made Waking Up in a Possible Our American Cafe available for you, which would be Brad Comer, Nathan Jett, Jeff Spinard, and DeMont over at Voice America, and our friends at Cumulus Radio, Mike Vitale, Ron Simon, and uh, Stacey Anderson. And I really want to say thank you, Ron Hayes, for being a great research assistant. This program has been brought to you by Kirkard Media, our radio partners, com. Dr. James Murphy, Dennis Weaver, and Larry Hagman in heaven have brought this program. Uh, DrValerie.com, and doctor is all spelled out. We want to thank our producer and sponsor, C.W. Wright of EmergencyManagementSolutions.org. So there you go. Thank you for joining us today for Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkgaard. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 